quick question for you. Hey, let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? Can you dig it? Yes, guy. Can you dig it? Yes, guy. The man with the words you've been dying to hear. Yes, guy. This is the Yes Guy Show with Jim Taddy on TSN 1050. Oh, yes, guy. Episode number 90. Where does the time go? Jim Taddy and Perry Left go with you. Coming up on our broadcast today, very shortly, Graham Dillette, Robert Geller, the voice of Woodbine, and Mike Morielli, uh, former CFL player, commissioner, co-founder of the CEBL. Perry, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Jim? Well, it sounds like you had to think about it. I mean, come on. You're either well or, or, or you're not. I'm well. How's that? That's better. Okay. Uh, looking for an experienced real estate agent, Charles Park, managing broker, Remax West Realty Brokerage, has 27 award-winning years of real estate experience. So looking for the highest level of knowledge, experience, and service. Put Charles Park in your corner. Visit charlespark.ca or call him or text him at 647-292-8886. Servicing from Hamilton to Kingston, from Toronto to Muskoka, Charles Park will not be outworked by anyone. When you go to the fox40shop.com, you'll find the Fox 40 Titan, the Fox 40 Coaching Boards, the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle, producing 100 decibels at the push of a button go to fox40shop.com use the code yes guy for 15 percent off your order and we go top drawer here graham delette just retired from the pga tours with us graham how are you today i'm great guys how are you good uh, we appreciate you stopping by uh so let me ask you this you're now working for tsn as a commentator on, on golf of course um and and recently because of back problems retiring how do you like the tv gig you know what? I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought at the time. I was like, well, I kind of need something to do. I, had, you know, I was I was still trying to battle through injuries and rehab and practice and get back out there. And but for like about three years, I mean, other than a few tournaments, I hadn't really done much. I'm like, I got to do something with my life. I'm like, but you know, Bobby Weeks is like, you should come and try a few things with us. And I'm like, I was a little hesitant at first, but uh, the more and more I do it, the, actually, the more and more I like it. It was a little strange at first, you know. You're around the guys are like, oh, what are you doing out here? I'm like, oh, I'm working media, you know, kind of thing. And uh, but once I kind of accepted it that that was my next uh, my next thing in life or whatever, it's actually been quite good. Wait a minute, you're in media. Do you not embrace it, or is it something that you're still getting used to? <laughs> no, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, obviously, a player always wants to be on the other side of the ropes, but uh, no, it's it's been good and it keeps me connected to the game. I get to see the you know the guys and hang around a little bit and go out for dinner and beers with some guys again. And, you know, that's kind of the stuff that you miss as much as the, uh, you know, the competition and being under the gun and feeling that pressure and everything. You miss the guys quite a bit. So it's good to be back out there a little bit. Well, you know, you opened a big door there because I, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think when you say media, uh, media in the PGA Tour is different than media, media in, in the big four team sports, isn't it? I mean, is, is, there's sort of different lines there. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I think every sport is probably a little bit different, but you know, it's easy. I get, I guess it's easier if you're playing a team sport sometimes that you can always, you've got other guys to fall back on that sort of thing. I mean, you're out on an Island when you're playing professional golf, professional tennis would probably be similar. I mean, you got to answer the questions and it's all you. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I wouldn't want to be on a, on a bad Maple Leafs team and have to answer the questions from the media uh, in that city all the time as well. So hopefully they can turn it around finally and uh, make a little bit of a move. They got a good team. Nick Faldo retired this year after 16 years in the broadcast booth. And I enjoyed listening to him because he was frank. He was honest. 
Do you find when you're now in the media again, do you find it difficult to, you know, to be critical of, you know, people that you know? I think the, um, uh, yeah, a little bit, but, um, you know, if, if I'm sitting, if it, if they're my friends, um, you know, if I was sitting down having beers, we could talk about how they played poorly or whatever it was. It's like, you know, that's what we do. You're like, Oh, you know, I hit it great today, but you know, I made a couple stupid mistakes and that's it. But guys know what they did right and wrong. Um, when guys can constantly harp on like, like Will Zalatoris and his putting, um, you know, that gets old from a player standpoint, but I think for like, like Colt Nost, for example, is a good buddy of mine. He's doing great things in the media world now, uh, working for CBS, but he's relevant still. All the players know him. And that's, I think, really big in, in our sport compared to um, team sports is that, like, Nick Faldo, of course, everybody knew his, like, all the players I'm talking, all the young players, they knew his resume, but they don't know him as a person at all, except for when they see him kind of walking by and they, you know, say hi, Nick, to him. So being relevant and being fresh, I think, is huge um, in golf. And I think that there should be just more of a turnover. Like Colt can do his thing for five, ten years, get someone else in there and, and keep it young, keep it fresh, because I feel like golf, it's a little stagnant. Um, you know, with the old Johnny Millers for a long, long time. And Faldo, you know, even like Immelman coming in, he's at least recent enough now that um, guys know him. He's obviously the President's Cup captain. Um, I, I think it's important to keep it fresh. And I think especially with – everything that's going on now with uh, live and trying to compete there and competing for uh, fans and eyes on the game. Um, it's, it's going to be more and more important now than ever. Well, you know, you, you touched on something that when I do hockey, I, I, I pass this along to, I work with uh, Frank Corrado and then what I say about Frank is uh, he can take us to the ice because he was just on it. He's, he's, uh, he's still sort of playing, but, but not much. And, and, and that's, that's a connection um, that maybe you don't get a lot on the PGA Tour because some of the guys have been around for a while, but th- I think that's what you would bring to the table is you could bring us out on the course because you're just recently removed from it. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, it's exactly, I mean, like, uh, you know, the young, young guys, um, you know, I didn't play with, like, the Zalatoris and Morikawas and those guys, right as I kind of got hurt, they were coming in. But I know 90% of the guys out there, I've played with almost every single one of them, except for the youngest of the young. So even if you're not buddies, at least you know something about them. I mean, you spend, if you get paired with them on a Thursday, Friday, you spend 10 hours with them, and, you know, you ask about their family and this and that, so there's a little bit of a connection, whether your buddies or not, at least you have something on them. Um, and that's the thing like with uh, some of the older guys that are kind of doing like the Faldos or whatever is they have notes in front of them, but they don't actually have any kind of personal connection. Speaking of the president's cup, you had an opportunity to play in it. You had an opportunity to participate in the Olympics. And I'm thinking on the international stage, how different is it, you know, from playing just as an individual on the PGA tour? Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, the President's Cup was probably the most fun week I ever had as a professional golfer. I think the most pride I ever felt was in the Olympics. It was kind of different because the Olympics was still pretty much a individual event. You were just playing for your country. But the President's Cup was legit team atmosphere. And, uh, you know, that's something, I mean, like I grew up playing hockey and, um, you know, the team um uh, aspect of that is you miss that a lot and that was a fun week i mean it's like 
you're on the golf course and you're really not thinking about FedEx Cup points or money or your position in the field or anything like that. It's about just trying to get a half point or a point for your team the whole time and then come back in the locker room and the boys are pumped for you or they're, you know, they put you under your arm like, don't worry, buddy. You know, you ran into a bus saw today and Phil Mickelson or whatever it was and go get them this afternoon type of thing. So super fun. And I, I played some nice golf that week too, which made it better, but um, it was, uh, that was a great week. You know, television does a great job. Uh, so don't get me wrong here. I, I think that it, it does a great job in, in showing you all the stuff that goes on in terms of coverage of the round. But but the PGA Tour, what what do you think? What can you tell us that's underrated about competing on the PGA Tour that we might not pick up in a highlight package or in a round of, of coverage on, on day four? Well, the one thing, it's like, so I lived in Scottsdale for full-time for like four years, and I wintered down there since the day I turned pro. And you see, like, the amount of work and setup, especially that event down in Phoenix at the Phoenix Open, how much goes into it. And as a player, you literally show up, you know, on a Monday or Tuesday. The grandstand's there. All the infrastructure's there. They, you know, you, you land at the airport. They have a courtesy car. Most of the time, it's like a Mercedes or a Lexus or whatever. You jump in your car. They, you drive to a nice hotel. And it's like, you're so catered to. It's actually, like, unbelievable. It like, you know, going back to the Phoenix Open, like they start set up usually in like October, September, October, and it takes them, you know, the tournament's in early February, and it takes them in another two months to tear down. So they're working on that for six months a year for us to come in for five, six days and then, you know, jump on a plane, go to the next event, and the next event's the same way. And until I got on the media side, in all honesty, I didn't really appreciate it as much of just like how much goes in on the back end that the players actually don't even see as well with media tents and trailers and the, just the amount of people that it takes and volunteers to run a golf tournament. And, you know, you as a PGA Tour player, you're pretty lucky. You, know, you worked hard to get there, um, but you don't realize how lucky you are until you kind of take a step back, you're out of the game for a little while. And then, like I said, you kind of get – on the on the other side of it, on the media side, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Like you kind of pinch yourself. I can't believe that this many people are <laughs> doing this to come and watch us play golf week in and week out. Graham, help us understand what happens when Tiger Woods shows up and, and that whole aura. And, you know, you can remember then you would have been around when, when he was dominant. And, and even now, I mean, there's still that persona that shows up. And, and literally you can see the the whole thing change. At least that's what it looks like. What is it really like? Yeah, there's a different feel uh, anytime he's in an event. It's it is crazy, and there is a it's, there's an aura about him. Uh, even when he just walks down the range, he looks like he's eight feet tall. He's strong, and uh, you know he comes into the locker room, and everybody just looks. You know, it's like a twelve year old girl seeing Justin Bieber or something. It's crazy, and it, it doesn't matter how many times you see him or how many times you play with him. He just has something different that and you can and then this intimidation factor you would do anything to like if he was sitting down and uh or if he wanted to sit down at your table and there was only four chairs and he was the fifth i mean someone would jump up real quick grab a fifth chair and bring it in for him type of thing you know there's so much respect for the players and he obviously earned it and i got to play with him once at the players championship on saturday and that's uh that's a day i'll never forget i mean the crowds were insane 
and uh, yeah, it's it's different. Graham, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your beard. You're from Canada, and there seems to be an awful lot of Canadians on the PGA Tour rocking beards. Was it incumbent upon you, being from Estevan, Saskatchewan, to rock a beard? Well, well, Wayburn, 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 big difference. Wayburn, <laughs> sorry, man, bad research. Wayburn, no, no, you're good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know what? It was weird when I started kind of growing the beard. It was sort of before beards had kind of taken off. Now they're, uh, you know, everyone's kind of, seems like they're kind of wearing them. Um, and then it sort of just became my brand there for a while. And I just kind of embraced it and I was playing nice golf, so I didn't really want to mess with anything. And then, you know, I started making more bogeys and birdies. So I thought it was time to get rid of it and start something new. Um, you've got, uh, two six-year-old twins. What's that like? It's awesome. That's been the, the nicest part about being home basically the last few years is, all the quality time that I've spent with them. I take them to school pretty much every day now, pick them up after school. And the, uh, um, yeah, it's just like when you're, even when you're traveling, like when, when I was playing full time, my kids were young. They traveled with me almost every single week. I mean, it was crazy going through the airport with like a train of luggage and car seats and uh, strollers and everything. But we wanted to be together as a family, obviously. But even when you're together and on the road together, I mean, uh, in a early morning, I'm up and out of the hotel before five, and then you play your round of golf and you practice afterwards. You get a little bit of physio and maybe a workout. You home by back to the hotel by two, three in the afternoon, and then it's like blackout curtains and have an hour nap, and then you get up just in time to go out and have, you know, a bite to eat with them and put them to bed. So even though they're with you, it's never like quality time as a dad, and I would have never even noticed it. Um, until I stepped back and I was like, man, I would have missed out on so much if I was still playing full-time. Um, obviously, <laughs> I would still love to be playing full-time, but that's definitely been the silver lining is the quality time we spend with the kids. And my son's playing hockey now, and um, the you know my daughter's big in dance, and it's been a lot of fun. We ski a bunch in the winter. They're, well, they do. I just kind of poke around on the greens, but it's, uh, it's been awesome. Well, Graham, I've just fired my research assistant, so because his research was terrible. But I want to ask you, going back, what I asked you before about the Olympics, what was that experience like? They talk about walk, you know, walking in with all these other athletes from different sports. Did, did you be, did you appreciate it more being in it as opposed to just watching it on TV? If you did, yeah, no question. And uh, David Hearn and I, we got to walk uh, in the opening ceremonies, and. It was amazing to see, and like it was emotional uh, for the two of us as well. But you know, we're lucky as professional golfers if we didn't play well. Like I went to Greensboro the next week and played for an eight million dollar purse right from Rio, just flew straight up there. You know, but the uh, you know the amateur um, sports they work, they train for like four hours a year just to get there. That's the pinnacle, and if they don't play well. Or even if they do, it's like, man, it's over. And now you got to get on some gov- government-subsidized funding to keep training. There's three of them staying in, you know, a tiny little place in Calgary, and they're training. Like, we, I met a bunch of different athletes. And I was like, wow. It's like that was another time. Where, like, you kind of pinch yourself and realize how lucky you are as a PGA Tour player because, uh, you know, I asked one of the field hockey kids. It was his – I say kids. He was like 20, 30 years old. It was his third – olympics at that time i was like oh, are you gonna do another he's like man he's like i don't know it's like i'm kind of sick of being poor and like 
training and living with like two other guys, like I said, you know, so, um, that was like the big thing to me is how much it meant to all the other athletes that were there. And that's like, like I said, it's not taking anything away from how I felt because it was amazing representing your country in the Olympics, but it puts things into perspective for sure. How much it, and I get goosebumps just kind of even talking about it and just walking or thinking about walking through that opening ceremonies again. Graham, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. If you're an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park Managing Broker, Remax West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call Charles at 647-292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.com. When you go to fox40shop.com, you will find hockey products like the Fox 40 Call, the Fox 40 Super 4 CMG, and don't forget to pick up a copy of The 40 Ways of the Fox. Ron Foxcroft's inspirational book for new entrepreneurs and business veterans alike, fox40shop.com. Use the code YESGUY for 15% off your order. Welcome back. Yes, Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money and get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Check out Fox 40's new premium whistle, the Fox 40 Titan, at a sleek titanium body. The Titan emulates the authentic sound of the Fox 40 Classic, available now in titanium, gold, or matte black. Go to fox40shop.com. Guest number two is the voice of racing at Woodbine, Robert Geller. Robert, welcome. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me, Jim. I'm doing really well. Thanks. And you just come off a Queen's Plate uh, call, and, and uh, obviously it was quite easy because the, the winning horse, Moira, just ran away from it. What was that like? It was electrifying because the crowd was really into her and watching, I think, for her performance. I, I know she was well-supported. and She was really, you know, the filly against the boys is always a great story. But when they came for the home stretch and she made her move, it was so quick and such a, a devastating move that uh, the crowd just erupted. And it reminded me a little bit of uh, the win by Wanda Goddard in, I think it was 2018, when the Mark Cassie filly won. But I think Moira was, in some ways, even more of a story because... Um, she's so lightly raced, and she she has untapped potential. And in the manner of her win, as you mentioned, just careering away to win by seven lengths and be geared down, that really you know underscores just how strong a win she she put in. Well, Robert, I'm going to ask you right off the top: Do you think she has triple crown potential? Oh, 100 percent, Perry, no doubt. I mean, I don't think she's beatable in the triple crown by anyone here. I just think it's a question of where they want to run, whether they want to take on a real you know, strong contenders in in the United States and whether they want to um, persist with the Triple Crown because uh, I just don't see on the dirt track at Fort Erie a real challenger. And I think interestingly, too, I mean, her bloodline as far as the dam, Divine Ada, you know, she actually transitioned to turf racing later in her career. It was a short career, but she ran a couple of good seconds and thirds in what were turf races going along against horses in Belmont uh, and tracks in the East Coast. So I think... She's got it in the bloodline. She's got every reason to dominate again. You know, there was a, a, a close triple crown possibility a couple of years ago with Mighty Heart, an interesting story about a horse who had one eye and just seemed to overcome a lot of odds. 
were you as a track announcer, you know, to use your expression, gearing up for the possibility and when it didn't happen, were you as deflated as, as the crowd was? A little bit. I was. I think perhaps the hardest part of that particular scenario with Marty Hart was that the race was lost early. It wasn't even as if the, the crowd and I had a chance to really cheer for or, or root for, for him because there was such a, an aggressive early move by an opponent to take on Marty Hart. And Marty Hart, being the sort of horse that he is, as soon as he's challenged, he retaliates, which was his strength in the Queen's Plate, turned into a detriment in the Breeders' Stakes, where he immediately started to really run early. And it was, of course, a mile and a half, being longer, untried on the turf, and it really paid a price on him later, so that by the time they came down towards the final three furlongs, he was already a beaten horse, and the air had gone out of the crowd. It had almost gone out of me as well, because it was such a disappointing spectacle to have the build-up. We had waited, what, 2003 is the last Triple Crown winner in Wando. But it in some ways didn't disappoint me on another level, in the sense that I don't know if Mighty Heart is a dominant horse. It's a very different type of story. Mighty Heart's a, a, a cur- all about courage, all about overcoming the odds. I think when we get to a horse like Moira, this is about a completely dominant, classy filly who, if she was to win the Triple Crown, we would not have any detractors of her ability to have earned that. And I think that you want the Triple Crown winner, just as they do in the United States, to be dominant because you don't want... I mean, even when Real Quiet lost the Triple Crown on the last head bob to Victory Gallop, some people were relieved, saying this is a horse that isn't bloodlines and isn't necessarily a champion. They want a champion to win it. Robert, take us into the booth. I think race calling is one of the more undervalued or underappreciated skills, just because there aren't that many people that do this. So how did you hone your craft? Uh, Well, thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. I I do find it to be about uh, just the experience of doing it more and more, and it takes, like any craft, a lot of polishing, and it's something that you know, you you can be your own worst critic and very hard on yourself. But, I mean, you have to strive for excellence but not perfection because it's such a split-second type of job. And so much of it is concentration and learning how to, in so many quick ways, focus even under difficult situations when uh, things may be distracting. I, I do believe that just going to the track and getting experience takes many, year, many, many years. But as you get comfortable with yourself and your own ability to uh, relax into it, your own style emerges and and your own expressions emerge. And I think that you start to feel a sense of where you you belong as as an announcer in terms of your style. I, I, I don't think it ever ends. I mean, it's like any craft. But the keys are really concentration, memorization, the ability to, in some ways, not filter what you want to say and trust what comes to you in the moment because you want the image on the screen because today, of course, our audience is very different. Uh, Years ago, it wasn't so geared to television. It was more about radio. And you want what you're saying to match what people are seeing. And when they see that that's a match, even in the actual emotion of a race, so, you know, if, if you're too strong on a race that doesn't warrant it or if you're strong in a race that does people can tell and i think it's really about authenticity but all to say that you know i grew up on radio listening to radio announcers as a race caller uh and i think it was very helpful because 
you learn to fill in the gaps that people who might not be able to see it could imagine. So you're really creating the picture like anyone who does radio does. I think radio is actually a very visual medium because you have to fill the picture in for the audience. And I think that's a great background to have. Whereas television announcers are different. And uh, I think I've evolved in that way. But my feeling is as long as I know it feels comfortable, I think that the audience will feel comfortable. And when I'm not, I think people can tell. So you talked about concentration. For anybody who doesn't know, you're going to have to deal with one race and then move on and, and call another race and, you know, be able to identify different horses and, and jockeys and whatnot. It's a very consuming thing, but and yet you don't have a lot of time to do it. So what is your secret? Uh, it is just a matter of associating silks with, with uh, names and you have to do it really quickly, as you say. I mean, the key is when they come out onto the track, you can do all the, you know, so-called reading about horses' background and, and, and remembering what you saw from a previous start. And that's useful because, after all, you look at a field and immediately you can identify a number of those horses because you remember seeing them. But not always will they have the same color. Some are claimed. Some are different first-time starters. Some of them, <clears throat> excuse me, will have a different cap color. And on it goes. But the real part is they go on the track, and from that moment to the start, you're busy, you're actually memorizing them. And you need to say it out loud to yourself. And I mean, it might sound a bit odd to someone who's watching you that you're talking to yourself, but when you say something and it actually is heard back by yourself, it actually locks it in. And the other part to me is I'm not someone, a lot of announcers do this, I'm not someone to color a program. To me, there are enough colors out there to actually just focus on what's out on the actual track but to see in your program if there's anything that needs to be noted. So especially at Woodbine on Turf, especially with horses like Mark Cassie, who brings a number of horses from the same ownership, I'm looking at cap colors, uh, nose rolls, uh, gear changes, blinkers, anything that when they're in a pack that I could spot that blinker, I can spot that nose roll, I can spot that cap color, or when the weather changes. And you absolutely never know when you might rely on it. And it's a split-second moment, and it gives you such confidence to know that you can just say, oh, I've got it in my program as a note, or I've got it in my mind. And it's the littlest things that matter. And um, most of the time, it's a muscle memory that you just practice, and you get really comfortable with it to the point where you can still be talking to someone, having a conversation prior to the race, and you're still kind of memorizing it in your mind, and you are ready and away it goes and it's just it's a beautiful feeling because you just think how will i do this and it just happens you're just in the instinctive moment when they jump like on queen's plate i was like i don't know how i'll feel when it when the race starts immediately you're thrown into the race you don't have a moment to think anything but that well and one of the differences is and we certainly saw this with covid where a lot of tv games were called off monitors as opposed to being in the rink. Uh, you're looking through a set of binoculars as you're calling this. Most people that call, well, I think everybody who calls an auto race, regardless of TV or radio, is calling it off a monitor because it's just too fast. But but yours is, uh, in, in some respect, old school, but, but really sincere, isn't it? I feel it is. I mean, I'm looking firstly through binoculars, and then as they come into the final, maybe inside a halfway down the home stretch I'm, I'm not relying on them i'm looking through i'm just looking at, like any fan with a naked eye but the key uh, to me is uh being able to in some ways anticipate a move in a race and when you're watching a television uh coverage and you're dependent on that image 
there's not always a guarantee that you're going to go back far enough in the image to pick up a horse that might be starting a run from a fairway back in the field. Some pan cameramen who who cover what is the image that is the one that the majority of fans see, not the head-on image, but the one that's the race, will follow the race caller. And I, I have others who don't. And to me, I don't want to be dependent at any point on the television. It could be a reference. And I know they have chiclets on the screen and they have the name, which rotate automatically on the first maybe four horses and some tracks have numbers only. But to me, that's a complete distraction because by the time you see that, that's a reaction to what's already happened. And as an announcer, you want to be on it. So the binoculars are very important because it gives you the range, it gives you the presence of the moment, and it gives you, uh, in many ways, uh, an uninterrupted flow because I don't like to be cross-referencing between a television and uh, binoculars, and I rarely use the TV and that's a skill if you need to. And there are reasons you will need to in certain situations, even at the mile and a quarter start, which is a blocked view from the angle of the booth to where the Woodbine races start on the turf. Sometimes, depending on the, where the rail is, you can't see that unless you really hang out the booth and it's quite dangerous. So sometimes I will have to reference the TV to the start of that race. And I don't really like it, but I will learn that. I have learned that skill and it is a skill. But in other sports, I do understand that that's a totally different approach. And sometimes uh, announcers, even in horse racing in calling, will opt to the television as their first choice. But to me, uh, I think it's so much uh, stronger as an announcer to rely on the binoculars because if something, you know, if something went wrong with power, you can keep going. And you always need to know that you can keep going no matter what. Robert, you're known as the voice of Woodbine, and announcers as a whole are seen as somewhat of a celebrity. Do you see yourself as somewhat of a celebrity? Well, I have a responsibility as the voice and the profile of the racetrack. And if that is what is called celebrityism, I'm okay with that. And I think there's nothing worse than sort of false humility. And I absolutely think my personality is chatty, is a gregarious person. I enjoy people. I really have a great deal of um, fun with people who visit the booth. I love to meet uh, visitors because they come to Woodbine for the experience and I want them to have a great experience. So I embrace that part of being responsible to fans. And if I have critics, I accept that. If I have fans, I embrace that. And I think that's really important because I think that's part of the persona of the job. And I know I have to do master of ceremonies uh, performances uh, at different functions and people want to get to know who you are. And I respect that and I'm okay with that. So I've learned to embrace it, even though there are times when it can be uh, demanding because they're asking of you things that you weren't expected to do in your job. But I think that's part of what growing is, is as a person. And I really believe that, especially in racing today, we need to embrace the real fans because I am a real fan. I know what it's like to be at the track and cheering and want to win and want to experience all the, all the aspects of a racetrack and get to know some of those personalities. So I understand it from the other side. And so I want to be of service to those people. Robert, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks very much. 
It's a pleasure, Jim. Thank you, Perry. I appreciate it. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, BraleyAdvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Let's talk about advanced planning. Your life, your say, your tribute, and all your way. Turner and Porter Funeral Directors. Let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Welcome back to Yes Guy, the radio show. Jim Taddy and Barry Lefko with you. Homeowners and first-time buyers, if you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG, St. Bridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean. Go to safebridgefinancial.com or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Master your game strategy with the Fox 40 coaching boards available for basketball, hockey, football, and more. Use the code Yes, guy, at checkout for 15% off your order. Go to fox40shop.com. Now we bring in the commissioner, co-founder of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Mike Morielli. Mike, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, gentlemen. How are you doing? Well, let me check. Everything's good here. Everything's good here. You're, you've just finished your fourth season with the CEBL. First of all, Perry, jump in here. Are you okay? Is everything good with you? I'm doing great because whenever I talk to Mike Morielli, it is always a pleasure. Always. Always, always, always a, yeah, always a pleasure. There's no, no question. I can't remember when it was never, you know, when there's any kind of, you know, animosity or it was always a pleasure every time, every single time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You've just finished your fourth season of the CEBL. I mean, really. So you launch it in 2018. And then of course this thing called COVID comes by two years in and you weathered the storm here. What, what is the state of the league, Mike? Oh, you know what? It's, it, it's really in, in a good spot, and it has been difficult, as you can imagine. So, you know, we, we launched in 2018, played our first season in 2019. Anytime you have an inaugural season, it's a gong show, especially when you're trying something brand new across the country. Um, and then years two and three were hit right in the face with COVID. So, you know, we made the decision to, to get through it and be the first to do a bunch of things, play in a bubble, welcome fans back, et cetera. Um, certainly didn't anticipate us being a leader in that regard. We were just trying to survive. Uh, but, but being able to do that and grow, we added a team in 2020 in Ottawa. And then going into last year in 2022, added three teams in Montreal, Newfoundland, and in Scarborough. And then this season was just, it, it was one for the ages. Our, certainly our best. Uh, we certainly have a lot more work to do. But what a, what a way to come out of COVID and, uh, and to really put our foot down and, and get noticed. Mike, I just found it interesting, or I do find it interesting, that you were called commissioner. And I'm wondering if there's a certain responsibility with that. And do you ever call up Gary Bettman for advice? Well, I'd like to think I'm a bit of a cool commissioner. I'm not, I'm not Adam Silver or Gary <laughs> Bettman or the other guys, you know. Um, I, I, I commission in a very different way. Um, but, you know, the commissioner title is interesting because it really is all-encompassing, right? I have, obviously, the look after the business but also look after the basketball and and the rules and the discipline and 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 all that stuff so i really really like my job for about eight months of the year and then the basketball people come and they drive me insane it's like anything right once you get competition and and really high level confident people it's all about winning and when competition enters the fray that i'm putting out fires here and there and something 
inevitably somebody's not happy. Somebody loses, somebody wins. But, uh, you know, I, I, I love it because of the competition level. I love it because, you know, the, the other eight, nine months of the year, my job is, is growing the league and being creative and trying new things and finding new owners, and new markets. So uh, I certainly enjoy every single minute. I'm going to go a little off the border and go back to your previous life in the Canadian Football League. You know, this year has been uh, an interesting story with that Canadian quarterback named Nathan Rourke who was lighting it up, and now all of a sudden he's got a, an injury, a foot injury, and he likely won't be playing again this season. I'm wondering if you, as just a fan of the Canadian Football League, you know, found what he was doing interesting and kind of deflated by what's happened to him. I, I think yes and yes. Um, first of all, super excited to see Nathan Rourke do what he's been doing. I mean, uh, Canadian or not, this guy is setting records and, you know, on pace, was on pace to, to smash all of them. Um, his poise is unbelievable. And I guess, you know, I've been really fortunate to play with a lot, a lot of high-level quarterbacks, Hall of Famers. He reminds me a lot of Danny McManus. Um, certainly a little more agile, but, but in terms of just the way he handles himself, I don't think I've seen a young quarterback um, of, of any nationality be able to walk in and and take over and the poise the poise he has is incredible so when i you know heard of him getting hurt it, it was just like no you've got to be kidding me because this is what right this is not just what the bc lions needed this is what the cfl needed to draw that attention something really proudly canadian something that cfl is, is supposed to stand for and you know coming off of you know the same kind of crap we came off of in COVID, and then to have him out for the next couple months is, is sad. It's, it really is too bad. My, my hope is he can come back, but what a great story to watch. Mike, uh, you missed a promotional opportunity by answering Perry yes and yes. It should have been yes guy and yes guy. <laughs> yeah. we'll, 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 we'll try and fix that in the edit. <laughs> let, me go back to, let me go back to the CEBL. Uh, and obviously you had projections. I was at that inaugural press conference, uh, and, and you had an idea of where this was going to go. You couldn't have predicted COVID, but, but from where it was going to go to where it is, how, how would you compare those two things? probably well in advance of where I anticipated us to be, um, even including COVID. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, often in sports we look at, okay, how many people are in the stands and how many people watch on TV. But the dynamics of how we engage fans and how fans engage with us are completely different than they were when, when I played. So, you know, our fan engagement across all platforms, whether they're watching us, through our mobile app or on the website or on our social media or watching a game or in, in person at the arena has all gone up, you know, tremendously. And what that does is it, you know, the engagement of more fans allows you to bring on more partners and more partners can help elevate the game day experience. And then you get, you know, the bigger networks. And it just, in that respect, I think we are further ahead of where we may have been if we played traditional seasons in year two and three. So it, it sounds bizarre, but I think it, what really differentiates us and helps us is we knew we were going to be investing into this league for the first four or five years. So we knew we were going to be spending money um, to come out of it and to be this league that can stand on its own two feet in the future. Well, without any revenues in year two and three, that seemed bleak. But because we got through it, all these other good things happened. So, you know, in, in many respects, this sounds crazy, but COVID may have been a bit of a blessing in disguise. It, it really helped us get through things and feel confident, but also increase, you know, our awareness because we were doing things that others weren't. Mike, you mentioned Danny McManus. Did you ever encounter any other CFL player who enjoyed drinking beer as much as Danny did? <laughs> well, 
on our team, that was just about everybody in the in the mid '90s. Uh, I just got off a uh, a podcast. Hitchcock and I do one, and uh, we had Jeff Cummins on, and we've had Joe Montford and Danny Mack and Darren Flutie and Andrew Grigg and Marwan Age, and I would say all those guys fall in that boat. Uh, Danny was the leader, though. Danny was the guy. You kind of go how your quarterback goes, right? When I was in Toronto and, and Doug Flutie was the quarterback, the, the team was different. Doug was a different cat. He wasn't like Danny or Darren, his brother, for instance. But in Danny, you get this regular, cool dude who likes drinking beer, who wants to, you know, have some fun, and he wants to win. And, and at the same time, you know, if he throws five picks, great. If he throws five uh, touchdowns, great. He was just the ultimate, ultimate teammate. And, uh, you know, when, you're, when your leader is the guy leading the way in, in the clubhouse, you know, in the beer line, everybody falls in line and, and follows. It was, it was the time of my life. Mike, uh, we're going to end this. Uh, unfortunately, we, we should have had more time for you, but we do have enough time for you to, to fix up your yes guy quota. Can you yes guy us out? Yes guy. I can certainly do that. And it's been well, let's have it. it is, Come on, it man. Give it some pleasure. juice. Always a pleasure. And whatever I can do to help with your program, promote it, I would love to say, yes, guy. That's there we go. That's an offer. Thank you very much, Mike. Really appreciate it. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean. Go to SafeBridgeFinancial.com or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Let's talk about advanced planning. Your life, your say, your tribute, and your way. Turner and Porter Funeral Directors, let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes Guy, no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the officially sanctioned edition of Yes Guy, No Guy and Yes Guy, the radio show, sponsored by Your Name Could Go Here. And you could be playing Yes Guy, No Guy with us. Contact me or Perry for that. Uh, So in the meantime, continue on. Go ahead, sir. You were heartened when Frankie Corrado said earlier this week that you were his mentor. Oh, yes, Guy. What a thrill that is. I mean, that's the great part about the second end of the second half of the career is you become a mentor and you enjoy others' success. And and I absolutely am thrilled by that. So an emphatic, all capital letters, yes, Guy. Yes, Guy, no, Guy. Real football starts next weekend, both sides of the border. Yes, Guy. I'm glad you put the last part in there, both sides of the border. I'm going to raise your emphatic yes guy and give you two emphatic yes guys. Oh, okay. Go ahead, sir. Nathan Rourke's injury was not only a loss to the BC Lions, but anybody who's, who has enjoyed watching him play this year. Oh, an emphatic hard yes guy to that. I mean, this was uh, the kind of a story that even if you weren't into football, you're fascinated to see it because it doesn't happen very often, as we're well aware. So that's a yes guy to that one. Um, yes guy, no guy. A quiet second half to the Leafs off season is of concern to you and Leaf fans. Yes, guy. And on that note, are you? Do you believe anything to do with the uh, Patrick Kane rumors coming to Toronto? Well, I, I believe that somebody should be looking into it, just because it could be a big factor in anything. Uh, you are, as a general manager, you're hired to do what's best for the franchise. It's best for the franchise to kick the tires on that. So I'm going to say yes, guy, to that. Go ahead, sir. Again? All right. It's always a pleasure yeah. talking to Mike Morreale. 
Yes, Guy. In fact, I can't remember when it wasn't a pleasure. And I think we alluded to that in our conversation. He's a great guy, a great mind, and we wish him all the best with the CEBL. Um, yes, Guy, no, Guy. You're already fed up with the ER. Or, I don't know if fed up's the right word. You're already tuning out. I don't know if that's the right word. You're already guy, have, where are you going? too Come much. <laughs> You've already had too much of Argo's Tiger Cats games. <laughs> No, Guy, you can never get enough of Argos Ticats games, especially emphatically on Labor Day. Oh, yes, Guy, to that. Go ahead, sir. The PGA Tour likely staved off some defections to live by upping their purses. Oh, yes, Guy. I mean, that was a no-brainer. They had to do something. They couldn't. Status quo was not going to work, and I think they have to continually sort of rewrite their, their own playbook on, on what to do going forward because uh, the, the Live Tour is gonna, has already taken a dent out of it and will continue to do so unless the PGA moves forward. Yes, Guy, no, Guy. Moira will win the Canadian Thoroughbred Horse Racing Triple Crown. I hope so, but there's also talk that they may skip the Prince of Wales and try to race her in the U.S., Okay, I'm going to slip another one in very quickly. Yes, guy, no guy. The Blue Jays' dominance of the Red Sox makes the Jays look better than they actually are. Yes, guy. Mm, wow, that, that was, was a, a quick terse, answer. A and then, first yes, guy, yeah. okay? <laughs> okay, yes. Well, I want to thank everybody for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed Episode 90 of Yes, Guy. Hope you come back next week for Episode 91. I want to thank our guest today, Graham Dillette. Robert Geller from Woodbine, Mike Morielli, and I want to thank our sponsors, Charles Park, Dean Romani, Fox 40, uh, who am I missing, Herb Braley, and Turner Porter. Thank everybody, and yes, guys!